talk a little bit about the last week, the things we've learned, and what we have planned for the upcoming week. I'm joined with news editor Tenor Holobar. Hey, how's editor. it going? What? Oh, yeah, we're doing that. Hey, how's it going? Okay. <laughs> I'd already forgotten that, that we sort of did that last time, didn't we? Yeah. News editor Tenor Holobar. Hey, how's it going, everybody? City editor Michelle Charles. Hello. And reporter Ashlyn Huffman. Hi. We wanted to start a little bit on a lighter side, and so we were going to turn to Tanner to talk a little bit about, um, we know you have um, usually the events and the goings-ons, but sometimes you're, sometimes you're contacted because people know that you write about artists or music or films, so sometimes people reach out to you if they got a new book coming out, so you, you kind of had someone reach out who who did you talk to this last week i've actually uh had emails you know for a lot of different types of people you know people coming into stillwater to play concerts at the tumbleweed you know like you said authors all kinds of things but um recently contacted by a representative of the oak ridge boys um this year marks the 40th anniversary of the song elvira um so i interviewed richard sturbin who is the bass singer um, or otherwise known as the Um Papa Mau Mau part from Elvira. Okay. Yes. Right. Um, so yeah, I spoke with him for close to 30 minutes. He's a very nice man. Um, you know, talked about, you know, t- gave me all kinds of details about that song itself, you know, basically how, you know, that song, I guess, was originally written. There's a street in East Nashville called Elvira. So a guy named Dallas Frazier saw that street sign, wrote the lyric, My Heart's on Fire for Elvira, and then I guess that street itself was really bumpy. So that's where the um, papa, mau, mau part. And then he just kind of filled in the gaps later and made it a song about a woman, you know. So it's just kind of, that's one of those things you talk with somebody like that. And I never would have known that, you know, that, it, you know, that there's kind of a real world origin for the name of the song. Um, you know, but it, it's just kind of one of those things you talk with somebody who, you know, I mean, you could expect that he has a real deep voice. But I didn't, you know, I didn't know that going in, you know, and he was, it was like talking to James Earl Jones or, you know, something like that, where it's just a voice that you just don't hear very often, you know, so it makes sense that he's, you know, like basically in a career where he's able to use that, um, you know, to his advantage, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, they basically knew that that song was going to be a hit right away the first time that they heard it, um, in the studio, they were all really perking up saying, what song is this? You know, the first time that they, um, he told me the first time that they played it live, um, they were playing a concert. Uh, I think it was in Sacramento or somewhere out near there in California. And I guess they started, um, adding some of their new songs that were coming up on this album that included Elvira. And they had to do encores of that song in the middle of the show, basically (laughs) before they had finished the rest of their, you know, set that they had, you know? So, I mean, it was a song that, right away people were into and were singing along with so it's it's interesting that they talking about they knew the song was going to be hit a few years back i don't know who all remembers this i i interviewed their manager uh jim halsey that's right yeah because he over was over in tulsa right yeah because he was it was at that time when they were they had the music hall of fame there in muskogee and a big part of the exhibit side of the Hall of Fame was his collection of memorabilia, which he is has so much. You know, he has so many of these signed guitars from Eric Clapton. You know, all these, you know, all these anybody you can think of. He's he's got all this insane uh, rock and roll and country, you know, memorabilia. But I just I went to talk to him because I we had written sort of an editorial. They're like, hey, uh, maybe maybe Stillwater could 
could have a sort of music hall of fame. And so he got a hold of me. He said, "Hey, come check out our stuff." Uh, he because he brought a lot of it back to Tulsa. So I went to his office in Tulsa. I went to his office in Tulsa. But uh, long story short, I guess I was sort of asking him after all the people he had been through in his career. You know what it takes to sort of you know get to Nashville. How do you determine the people who are going to be you know, how do you get out of this sort of, because we have a lot of people here who sort of have cult followings and they have the, the oh, niche, yeah. you know, there's those, there are a lot of people, but they don't quite get to Nashville. They don't really go, you know, worldwide or, or nationwide really. And he said, uh, it's, he said, it's the song. He said, that's, <laughs> you just need a really good song <laughs> to carry you through. Yeah. Yeah. He said, it, it's all about the song. So wow. I guess, yeah, the popular groups will have have a song that sort of connects with a lot of people. Well, tell me, I mean, anyone who doesn't remember, if nothing else, that chorus, you know, I mean, almost anyone probably heard it because it was, I mean, Tanner and I were talking about this the other night when he was, you know, telling me about the interview he was going to do about how this was a big crossover hit for them. It got played everywhere. Uh, I mean, we were Googling things and we found... Uh, pictures of them performing it on American Bandstand. This was because they you were know. primarily like a gospel quartet before sort of yeah, getting something mainstream. Yeah, and they really crossed yeah. over. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so many people remember that song, Elvira. But the amazing thing to me is, I mean, you know, Tanner was, you know, telling me that, I mean, this man has been with the Oak Ridge Boys since the 1970s, and they're still making new music. For 50 years, the Oak Ridge Boys are still making music. What is, I mean, he talked about a new album, right? Right, and I actually got a press release today um, from the same company that I had spoken with about their new album release that'll come out this summer. And that was one thing that Richard kind of talked about was they've actually kind of been out of work for a lot of the last year. He said that, you know, a lot of their... Um, uh, a lot of what people kind of know them now for is their Christmas music. At least that's what their most popular stuff is. So they were still able to have a Christmas show this past year. But he said they've basically been out of work for a year, you know, which is, I mean, kind of surprising considering this is a, you know, a group of, you know, such well-known stature, you know. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, they're, um, I don't remember the exact details off the top of my head about their new album specifically, but I believe it's supposed to come out in June. But, you know, that's something that I will definitely include the details um, in my story that will probably be out by the time this podcast is out so fun did you have a good time talking to him oh it was a great interview he uh it was almost like he didn't want it to end you know he was very appreciative of us giving the Oak Ridge boys some publicity and it was you know and i'm sure he's and he even mentioned that he's done a ton of interviews too so it's not something that's totally new he's just that's just how genuine they are i think you know just the fact that they're appreciative of you know you know a, a random newspaper you know contacting them you know so it's pretty cool that is really cool because, I mean, these guys are like legends. And then you think about that. And because, you know, we've tried to get interviews before with people and you always kind of have to sell it. Like, you know, they think we're some random little newspaper in a little podunk town. It's like, why should they waste their time on us or something? Oh, it's kind of how wanna, it feels. They want to know your reach. And, exactly. You know, they, they so see how many people are going to be able to read it. Or Exactly. You know. So I always have to do this sell job where I'm like, yeah. you know, we're part of a chain and we share this content nationwide. And it could, and also we're part of the Associated Press and this could potentially reach many, many more people outside of our market. <laughs> you know, and I we're, always have to do that. That's how I got an interview with James Marsden, I'm sure, yeah. but we're on the internet. Have you heard of it? <laughs> Any, anyone who wants to can read it. Yeah. We're on the World Wide Web. <laughs> right. uh, 
yeah, that's uh, we're, we look forward to that. Uh, thank you, Tanner. Yeah, um, no problem. Michelle. Yes. Everyone loves to read about streets and road and infrastructure. Man, do they not. It is. That and restaurants. It is our, <laughs> one of our favorite topics in Stillwater. And now the city is wanting some public input, not specifically about, because the city doesn't have a ton to do with with the highways. I mean, at least those are, you know, that comes from the Department of Transportation on the state level, but they can, they can gather a lot of input on what to do around the highways. So, exactly. So what, it, what exactly do you think the plans would be for this highway... 51 corridor, 6th Street corridor. What were the they calling that? 6th Avenue sixth corridor. Avenue. Okay. Uh, okay, the 6th Avenue corridor. There's a there's a public input kind of, they called it a visioning meeting. And I hesitated to use that in the headline or whatever because it's just such a government, I don't know, it's just such a weird kind of thing that, that they do. They'll have visioning meetings and it just seems goofy to me to use that terminology in a news story. But basically it's a public input meeting. The 6th Avenue corridor, uh, 6th Avenue is also State Highway 51, which is the responsibility of the Oklahoma Department of Transportation. We've seen major improvements to US 177, which is uh, Perkins Road as it goes through Stillwater in recent years. And now Highway 51 is on the uh, ODOT eight-year plan for, I believe, construction to begin in around 2025, last I saw. Anyway, uh, you're right. The city does not have a lot of control over the road itself, and it will be an ODOT project. But whenever we do these joint projects with ODOT, the city of Stillwater is responsible for utilities, for uh, ensuring that utilities are located and moved, and for buying right-of-way along the area for anything they want to do. And the city does have a certain amount of control over what happens along the roadway. And one of the things I really tried to highlight in the story and that you, you really see, if you'll just start at Western and drive to Perkins Road on 6th Street and look at the different areas that you're driving through. You've got the area where we have the fast food joints. You've got the area around the hospital and Westwood Elementary and some other medical clinics. You've got, um, you know, the area right there at the edge that kind of leads to campus just south of the Westwood, uh, the Westwood neighborhood proper. There, we actually had a discussion, in a, Chris and I had a discussion with someone in a previous podcast about what the neighborhood south of 6th Street, where the kids go to Westwood Elementary is. Is that still Westwood? Is it Westwood South? What is it? Uh, some people consider it to be kind of the same neighborhood, but the fact that it's divided by this busy road makes it feel like a separate neighborhood. And that's really what these big busy roads do, right? Is they divide things and they make it feel like you can't get across, like it's not a cohesive unit anymore. So that's one of the challenges we're looking at. How do you address the different areas of 6th Avenue? Um, By having that busy road, it does kind of impact what develops there and what stays there. And then also, how do you address that concept of connection? How do you connect what lies on the south side of 6th Avenue to what lies on the north side of 6th Avenue, especially when it's something like an elementary school that a lot of kids might be walking to? Or Oklahoma State University, a lot of the college students 
uh, lived south of 6th Avenue when um, all that college housing was bought up for the Athletic Village on the north side of the OSU campus. It pushed a lot of the student rentals south, south of, uh, south of 6th into that neighborhood. So, I mean, you and you have young families that live there, too. You have faculty from OSU who likes to walk and ride their bikes, you know, to, to work. So we have a lot of considerations. So do you think, um, I mean, is there conflict? I, and I say this because if you remember a few years back when um, Governor Fallon came here and they were celebrating that Western, you know, Avenue project that they had completed and right. these things. And I I get the sense that from people outside of Stillwater who visit Stillwater, what they would really like is the quickest way to get from I thirty five to the college. Like if you can make <laughs> if you make that easy for us, and you know that's all you need, Stillwater. It's you know the quickest way to get us in and out of here. Um, but I I think that rubs up against the the people who actually live here and the people who have different ideas for for what they want this part of town to be well you have so many different considerations when you're talking about the road that goes through your town one of the major roads that goes through your town you've got okay the business people want the traffic coming by so that they can try to get that business yeah they don't want to be bypassed you don't want to bypass but people who just want to get from the south side of town to the north side of town want to bypass people who don't want to deal with a lot of traffic on that road in the middle of town might also think that some bypass routes would be a great idea so you have those kinds of things you have people who think that sixth avenue should be widened and should have more dedicated turn lanes you have other people who think let's do some traffic calming let's actually maybe they should actually narrow it because if you build wider roads you just attract more cars there is a uh, kind of a mantra in transportation where they say you know you you create what you build for basically so if you build bigger and better roads more and more cars are going to drive on them so yeah there's a lot of tension there as far as what needs to be done there what needs to happen and it may not be a cohesive thing it's not going to be like one big five lane super highway just zooming through town at 50 miles an hour you know you've got people we saw there were some comments on the story last night i saw where someone said how about just phasing the lights so that you don't have to stop all the time well guess what when you don't have to stop all the time on a road that goes through the middle of town you build up speed and people get hit and people get killed and there are more accidents. This is not meant to be a highway where you drive unimpeded at the maximum speed so you can get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. This is meant to be a thoroughfare through our community. But at the same time, you don't want to unnecessarily have traffic backing up. So we got to look at all these things, right? And this is part of the process. The thing is 2025 sounds like it's a long ways away, but the city of Stillwater is working on its budget for fiscal year 2022 right now. And it's just around the corner. 2025 is in no time. So the time to uh, raise your voice and to express your opinion about what you want our community to look like, because this project is happening. Uh, this is the time to get involved. You get involved before it's a done deal. And sometimes it you have to get involved like three years before it happens in order to have a say. Because if you right. wait till 2024, it's done, baby. Right. You, you want to be on the <laughs> record right now. Yes. You know, whatever your position is, whatever you'd like yeah. to see in that area. Right. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, there are lots of opinions. So let's just see what they are. And that's what they're doing right now is they're gathering it. So March 31st at, I believe, 530 at the Stillwater Community Center. Do they have um, ways to sign up if you're not going to attend in person? There's always emailing the city council. And I would look on the uh, city's webpage, stillwater.org. And, you know, they've got that speak up Stillwater thing uh, where you can provide input on different issues to the city and, and definitely emailing, you know, the city manor, manager, uh, the city councilors that that definitely gets your input in there. Okay. And then just, you know, I'm, I'm sure this won't be the end of the discussion. This is just kind of the beginning of it. Tanner, Ashlyn, any questions for Michelle? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Probably not. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess how quickly would any actual like planning start? I mean, are they doing that right now or are they just kind of starting to take in ideas? I guess, where are they at in that process? Um, I, I have not talked to the people from ODOT yet, but they would have not have started the engineering yet. I mean, there are so many steps to this, right? right, right. The, city, yeah, of course. the city has to go through and buy the right, any rights of way for any extra areas. Like if they want to widen things or make an extra wide sidewalk that would accommodate bicycles and get them off the street. If they want to uh, do anything like that, put in signalized crosswalks or whatever, they've got to buy that. They've got to move all these utilities. And one other point with this is that there are a lot of utilities that are buried under this road. Sure. That are in this roadway. And they're aging. So if they build us a nice new highway through town, and then in 10 years, those utility lines fail, you have to dig up that nice new road and replace those utility lines and then fix it. And that's an expensive proposition. So what they're looking at is these utilities, they're going to go ahead and, uh, and replace them now. Even though they might not be about to fail, they're getting close enough to the end of their useful life that they think there's a benefit to going ahead and spending the money now, getting them out of the roadway, and just clearing everything up. Okay, thanks a lot. So Ashland, this sort of came up, I think, in just a, a newsroom conversation you had mentioned a story about the police or sheriff's deputies or someone, and you just you mentioned, I think it was police, and you'd mentioned body cameras, and I think I said, what? <laughs> since, what? Since when did Stillwater police have body cameras? Because we we'd always been told it was sort of cost prohibitive. You know, they it's like yeah, they they would like them, but they can't afford them. Um, so you've kind of found out that, uh, sure, uh, they're trying to get, uh, body cameras for people who don't have what the dash cams and the sheriff's deputies, plenty of them also have body worn cameras, but just, uh, what have you learned in the last week? Um, all the patrol vehicles and the patrol motorcycle police officers, they have dash cams and the motorcycles have body cams because you can't put dash cams on a motorcycle. Um, I haven't gotten back from Stillwater. They got their body cams for select people, I think, in 2014. Um, Captain Gibbs is trying to push to get body cameras, though, um, in Stillwater. I met with the undersheriff at Payne County yesterday. Um, They are working on getting body cameras, but they also need a new system, and it's very expensive. They're looking at um, one from the company WatchGuard. But they're about five to six hundred dollars a piece, which is cheap. But the only issue is the watch 
watch guard people have not been getting back with them and they need battery replacements for a lot of their stuff. Yeah. Cheap relative to other cameras. Yeah. Not not cheap for you or me to Oh no, no. Usual body cameras are like eight thousand a piece. And so he averaged if they get the expensive one for about thirty two deputies, it would be over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And the real expense they tell you is data storage. Really. Yes. So the data storage itself to get a new server would be a an in an excess of $120,000. It's just, it's a priority for them, but it's if they have enough money left over. They have hired new deputies um, and they have to get vehicles for them. They stop doing the charger vehicles because of, uh, if they go out into the grass or something, it's been ripping off car parts. So They, they ride too low. Apparently. And we're we're so. too country, I guess, for, yes. for the chargers. And so, so what are they, they going to buy? Um... Good question. I forgot what he said. But like an SUV type thing yeah, or something that rides higher? I want to say like a Durango, but I don't know if that's right. Is okay. that a car? Okay. No? Yeah. A Dodge Durango. Yeah. Maybe. It'd be like a SUV kind of thing. Yeah. So they're looking at that. And so they have to buy new vehicles for the off for the deputies, new um, uniforms, all of that too. So. Yeah. Full disclosure. Yeah. I, I had editorialized before how, you know, we'd want, we want as many of our officers as we can get with the body worn cameras. Um, I mean, I would prefer that, but I think, I think in a way I would want them to also have this, not, not just accountability, but something that would back up all of their encounters. You know, it's not something, it's not big brother spying on you all the time, but you know, before you, you make an encounter with a, a person you know, you, you, that way you have a record. And I, I would think that actually probably helps uh, police, I would think, more than it, it harms them. I, and, you know, this came up um, just uh, just this, not not this last week. The, the incident actually happened two weeks ago when they believed someone was threatening, you know, to jump off a parking garage. and. Mm-hmm. Right. They had, uh, that was from a dash cam, but yes. it, it still picked up uh, audio. Uh, you know, they had video and audio. And, you know, it became part of a, a larger discussion, but it gave them an example of community policing. So that is why, you know, I there was criticism for SPD releasing the video. Um, like maybe it was insensitive, but for them it was also... Um, an example of sort of a win, like when you have a, like a community policing win. Here's an example of us doing the the work that you don't see when when no one gets hurt, you know, and, and when everybody comes back safe. Um, what what was your take on that when you guys first saw that release? Um, I was headed into court and it popped up on my phone, and I was like, "Well, we don't usually report on suicide threats or." attempts or anything I wasn't going to do anything but court was running late and I decided to open it and I was like oh crap they sent it to every media in Oklahoma everyone's going to have this and video and everything so I texted Michelle and I was like well what do you think and they'd also yeah. posted it to their own yeah facebook they posted page it to both well, their right. facebook and their twitter mm. right. so it was out there you know and when Ashlyn and I started talking about it it's it's one of those weird things where, yeah, we don't normally report on that, you know, and, and there are good reasons for that. We don't want to glamorize it. We don't want to trigger someone. 
we don't want people feeling like this is, you know, a solution to a problem, right? So we, we always, uh, unless it's something that happens in a very public way, where people are going to be, you know, needing to know what happened, basically, because they saw part of it. We, we usually don't deal with that. There is, you know, and, and I'll admit this, we've talked about this, there is this weird feeling of pressure that develops sometimes when you know that other outlets are getting this same material and they're going to be probably running with it. And then you think, should the hometown newspaper be the only one who doesn't have it? And so I'll admit, I kind of responded a little bit to that pressure, even though in my gut, I felt kind of weird about the whole thing, because there is a part of it, like with the video that feels a little bit exploitive, but at the same time, it did demonstrate the police doing some of these things that they're called on to do every day uh, that goes way beyond just simple law enforcement. This is a lot of what they do in the community. So I felt like there was, you know, something, even though Ashlyn and I both felt kind of weird about it when we talked about it, we decided if we did it from the approach of there's help available, this is how the police helped this young man, and they actually have a whole unit that is dedicated to this, and because this happens so often, um, so we kind of, we tried to approach it that way. And when we still wound up, you wound up making some changes and we still took some heat for it. I had a, a friend who actually commented on my Facebook and said, please take this down. This hurts my heart. You know, this shouldn't be out there. Right. And the threshold is, yeah, a public place or a public persona. You know, exactly. Someone, someone in, in, a public in figure. That, in that, a public figure, yeah. And yeah, this is a case where, no, they, they didn't have, um, they didn't have the person's name or they blurred out the face but if if you knew this person then you would probably know their their skin tone and body type and you know their height you know weight so you, you'd probably still be able to tell who it was well and later on but, they or their family could go watch that video right but That's i there. i mean so to me two sort of other big things come out of that is that number one the spd felt the need probably because where we are in sort of where their industry is right now that they, they needed to show people that, you know, that, they care. Are, that our, our encounters sometimes go like this. Right. You know, so it's like they felt, you know, they, they needed to win or to show a win for police. So then like, that's, that's one of the discussions. The other discussion and this is more like in our industry in terms of, of how we do things is, like I said, we, we usually don't cover these things in, is, is that even the right approach? Are we sort of furthering the stigma when, when we make it seem like something shameful, you know, is it, would it be better if we approach this still sensitively, but in a way that, that these kind of things isn't something to be ashamed of. It just means people need help and everybody should should be able to find help where they can. I think that's a yeah. really good point. I mean, because there's nothing shameful about having a rough time being, you know, being in a dark place in your life and needing help. There's definitely nothing shameful about that. I think, you know, it's, it's embarrassing for people. Sometimes they don't want to admit it, you know, in our society, we're very much like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We're rugged individuals, suck it up kind of, kind of society. 
you know, and uh, I'm sure there's a whole group of young people that are really pretty darn sick and tired of being called snowflakes and told that they're too sensitive. But I, I, so I, I agree that, you know, in some way normalizing getting help, I, I think there's some value there. I think there was some value in showing the police doing something in a, in a way that was sympathetic and, and really trying to help this person and also highlighting how much stuff they do that's really not related to law enforcement. They're just crisis management, honestly. So I think there was a lot of value there. I think it was just a question of, you know, how do we deal with it? And and I didn't feel great about, honestly, caving to that sense of pressure that, you know, everyone else is going to have it and we're not. You know, I it always feels better to do it for when, if I would have thought of all those reasons before I did it, I probably would have felt better about it. I can rationalize it now looking at the whole thing and say there are there was some value there. But in the moment, I just kind of felt that pressure and I felt kind of icky about it, to be honest. It felt sort of weird. Well, the other and the other part of that, journalistically speaking, is it's hard to describe what happened in a video without that video to back it up. Exactly. You, you kind of lose a little bit on transparency there. Oh, absolutely. So, because, you know, they can tell you and, you know, and honestly, I had pictured something that looked much more dramatic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you see the video, I mean, but they were there with him. They could see the little changes in his body language. They could you know, the tone of voice and the look on his face. And there are all those little things that you pick up from people when you're right next to them, you know, and they've dealt with enough people in crisis that they felt like they could determine that this was a potentially dangerous situation at the very least. At the very least, they needed to get him off that pillar before something happened, whether he, whether he really wanted to hurt himself or not. But, you know, it's weird because Ashlyn's been noting how many calls there have been for people to to check on people or if possible attempted suicides or well checks. It feels like it's happened a lot this last couple of weeks. So I don't know if it's end of semester stress that's getting to everybody or what, but it, it feels like we need to have a really important discussion about stress and mental health and, and support services in the community and just what we need to be doing about that as a community. I don't know. What, it, what did you think about the whole thing, Tanner? I mean, it is one of those interesting things where you talk about when is it right to report on something like that, you know, I mean, because you never know what the situation the person might be going through or, you know, so there's just all these factors that maybe make it seem kind of weird to put it out there sometimes. But, you know, I do agree that there are times that it's kind of necessary to at least try to explain what's going on. You know, if people see a bunch of police cars anywhere, they're going to be asking questions. So if there's something around a big parking garage, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of people maybe, you know, saw that there was a lot of activity over there. So I think that's kind of the interesting thing where you just kind of, and when the police department put that out themselves, that also is kind of another aspect of it too, because they don't always, you know, put stuff out in that aspect, you know, so, you know, maybe that kind of adds to when it's more um, appropriate, at least in terms of like, you know, they're putting out the video, they're trying to show that, hey, this was a, you know, I like, like, well, I like what you were saying about how they were doing something sympathetic. Maybe that was why they wanted to put that out. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that was definitely the mm-hmm. point of that. Yeah. 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 So right. I thought it was interesting that, it, I mean, it did humanize the officers for me, especially the one officer who, after they got the guy down on the ground and he said something, I, I, there was something about being scared. And the officer said, I was scared. Well, it's sort of a, just a really deep sigh, like, right? Like, yeah. a whew, like right. kind of thing. We saw that from the guy. Exactly. So, yeah. And 
that's that's why I think like you know we do get a lot of things from the you know law enforcement perspective so yes when when we approach stories like this we we definitely want the other perspectives the mental health what it's like to go through it, i would like to see studies on how they ingest this kind of media you know what that does to them i you know that would something we need to take a longer look at but definitely is going is a good example of why the cameras help i think you know that that's true that even though even though we've noticed it people will also will all watch the same video and and come away with you know different interpretations of things that we can all see but it's still i think even at, even at a certain expense i think it i think it's good you know for police departments at least in in cities of our size i think more transparency is better i mean the more you can understand about what i mean that's one of the reasons I think it's good that we're talking about this right now because I think transparency and how we report the news and how we make the decisions that we make helps people understand what we're doing and why we do it. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, we always default toward, you know, more information is better. So anyway. Uh, yeah, that's, yep. Transparency sunshine week was last week, but for us <laughs> it's, it's an ongoing thing yeah, every day, every day. It's an everyday fight, but that's probably going to do it for us for this week. Um, thank you for joining us in the newsroom. <laughs>